Uninformed immigrants are at a huge disadvantage in court, in financial and legal matters, and also sometimes in life. Well, what can we do about it? I'll tell you what. We can train, teach, inspire, and empower immigrants to maximize their lives regardless of their immigration status. And that's exactly what we're going to do here. I am your immigration lawyer and host, Otis Landerholm, and this is the Empowered Immigrant Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Empowered Immigrant Podcast. On this episode, we're going to see an episode of the Empowered Immigrant Live, which is a webcast that I do every Thursday on Facebook and on YouTube for the immigrant community. If you have any immigrant questions or immigration questions, feel free to join us on Thursday for the next one. And for now, enjoy the episode. You guys, it is the 30th of December of 2021. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? I can't even believe it. We are at the end of the year, and uh, oh man, I love New Year's. I love New Year's. And today, you know, welcome to the Empowered Immigrant Live. And today our theme is what to say, and quite frankly, what not to say at the border. You know, around New Year's, around the holidays, it's like people are traveling, all right? And so I want to empower everybody to know what to say and what not to say so that you don't say something stupid and get yourself in a real, in a real problem when you're crossing the border to enter the U.S. So that's my plan today, and welcome, welcome, thank you for being here. Thank you on Facebook and YouTube and Instagram. Um, I'm honored honored to have you here. All right. So, uh, uh, so fantastic. So here we are, right? And so, um, on the empowered immigrant live, remember that we are here to train, to teach, to inspire, and to empower immigrants to maximize their lives. Okay. And also to get the most out of us immigration laws. And so, you know, that's, that's what we're all about. And today our theme is what to say and what not to say at the border. And thank you to everybody who submitted their questions ahead of time. We've got 30 minutes. We'll discuss this topic in English. And, uh, and then we'll do the same episode in Spanish. Así que si usted habla español, que venga con nosotros en unos 30 minutos. Okay? So thank you so much. Um, all right. Azúcar and mood. Uh, hello, hello, thank you for being with us, all right, welcome. So we'll get to, we'll get to questions. So before we get to the base, or before we get to the questions, let's get to the basics, all right? So what do you need to know if you're going to the border? What do you need to know if you're going to be talking to Border Patrol officials, all right? So the first thing you need to know is that Customs and Border Patrol, they're not messing around, Okay, they don't mess around. They don't, you know, no, you don't want to be joking around and with CBP around, Customs Border Patrol, CBP, right? You don't want to be silly. You know, you don't want to tell them some silly joke or something. You don't want to be like, they're serious. They're serious, all right? Sometimes they are more serious than they need to be. Like, yes, they all need to relax. And you just got to know that. You got to know that so that when you're going into a conversation with the border, you come out to it, you come into it with 
the right frame of mind, all right? You got to know that Customs and Border Patrol, they have the right to check everything, all right? National security issues are a big deal, right, in the U.S., uh, with U.S. Uh, Department of Homeland Security, all right? And so, you know, I mean, Border Patrol, they can check everything. In some instances, like especially if there's drug suspicions, they can strip search people, all right? So they have the power. They definitely have the power to check your phone. They have the power to check your social media and your email and all that stuff. Like, you don't want to have anything stupid with you on your social media, in text messages, or in anything, anything else, all right? Border Patrol officials, they could ask you all kinds of questions. Why are you visiting the U.S.? Where are you staying? With whom will you be staying? How long are you planning to stay in the U.S.? How much money do you have with you? Have you visited the U.S. before? For how long? What did you do? All right? You got to be ready to answer those questions. All right? You want to be ready. And it's also possible that they could search your luggage, including a laptop, if you have a laptop computer, including your phone. All right? And medical screening for COVID health stuff, especially these days. All right, so you want to be prepared for that. Now, as far as like what to say to them, rule number one is don't lie to them. All right, like don't. Bad idea. All right. Hey, um, Ali, I see you on there. Happy holidays to you too. Thank you. All right, Felipe, I see you on there. Eluna, I see you on there. Hello, welcome. Thank you. So don't lie to Border Patrol if you're crossing into the United States over the holidays, all right? It's important to always be honest. Don't try to get away with some kind of silly thing because the Department of Homeland Security and Border Patrol is within that agency. They have access to all kinds of things. They can find things out if you're, if you're not being 100% honest. And, you know, and the consequences of not being honest, like they can cancel the visa and deport people. I hate receiving that call. Hey, my loved one just got sent back to their country, all right? My loved one was, just flew from Australia, which is like a 20-hour flight. And then when they landed in San Francisco, they got their visa canceled and they got shipped back to Australia. Like, that's a horrible experience, and that's a horrible phone call to get, because often there's not much we can do about it, all right, right then and there. Often it's like, okay, maybe we need to apply for a waiver, reapply for a visa, figure out what happened that caused the, uh, the cancellation of the visa. Anyway, so you got to understand, don't lie. You want to be honest. Also, understand that there are limitations depending on the type of entry depending on the type of visa, the type of permit that you have to allow you to enter the U.S. For example, all right, if you have a tourist visa in your passport, do not say that you're coming with the intention of getting married to a U.S. citizen boyfriend or girlfriend, all right, and then intending to move to the U.S., that's not what a tourist visa is designed for, all right? Remember, with a tourist visa, you're supposed to have, quote-unquote, non-immigrant intent. You're, you're not supposed to be intending to move to the U.S. It's a temporary visa, all right? 
Also, with a tourist visa, for example, you should not say you're coming here to study. Because if you're coming here to study, that would be for a student visa, not for a tourist visa. Now, if you're planning on checking out schools and maybe later applying for a student visa, that's okay. Tourists can do that. But if you're planning to directly go into a classroom, and here's my registry, and here's, uh, here's my, you know, I'm signing up, and I go to school on Monday morning, and here's my tourist visa, that's not a valid use of a tourist visa. Like, you got to know the limits of the type of travel document you're using. Otherwise, you could be denied on that basis. If you're coming in on a tourist visa, don't say you're coming here to work. All right? You would need a work visa to come into work. That's not what a tourist visa is designed for. Remember, tourist visas are for coming in, seeing a few sites, visiting a friend or something, and then leaving. And you've got to be clear about that. All right? And now related to work, wait, wait, I'm coming in for a conference, and it's work-related. So when they ask me if I'm going to work, what should I say? Well, you say I'm attending this conference on these dates, and you've got the flyer in your hand. Here, immigration, this is the conference, this is the hotel I'm at, this is what I'm doing, and that's it. All right? Don't say you're going to be working like earning W-2 income, earning money, here in the U.S., you're, you're coming in on the wrong type of visa. you got to know the type of visa you're using. Okay? The takeaway, the takeaway, not to scare anybody, you know, and I don't want to, but the takeaway is to understand. I'm here to empower people. You want to understand your visa. You want to understand your travel documents. And you want to understand whatever limits, whatever legal limits there might be on the type of visa you're using and then, yes, you always want to be honest and you want to be careful about the words that come out of your mouth. Okay? Very good. All right, that's, that's what I wanted to say. So let me tell you a quick story. All right? We had a client. We had a client who was entering from Canada and who lied. She lied. She said she was not married. Got it? No, immigration, I'm not married. I'm just coming in for a quick visit. I want to just come and, come and visit. I'm going to go here and here and here. All right? The problem is, in fact, she was married to a U.S. citizen. So she said that she wasn't married because she thought it would be easier for them to not ask her so many questions. They just allow her to come in to the U.S. Got it? You can imagine that, right? No, I'm not married. Don't worry about me. Just let me come on in. All right? Whoops! Instead, immigration checks her phone, and they see that there's like a contact listed in her phone as her husband, and they say, well, wait a second. Why'd you lie to us? All right? They denied her entry, they canceled her visa, and they deported her. Okay? And so now, just because of that, just because of that simple misrepresentation, She's got to wait three years minimum while she's waiting for waivers to be processed. She's got to waive a willful misrepresentation of a material fact. That's the legal issue. So we've got to show that her U.S. citizen husband would suffer extreme hardship, all right, in order to waive 
the misrepresentation and her deportation order so that she can re-enter the U.S. Okay? And now imagine, like, all that processing time, waiting three years, separated from your spouse. Like, it's pretty horrible. Pretty horrible what you have to go through just because you thought it'd be easier, simpler to lie to immigration so you didn't have to explain your whole story. But I want everybody to get it. All right? I want you to get it. It's not smart to lie to immigration. Don't do it. Okay? Don't do it. Don't put, you're, you're putting your whole family at risk. All right? You're putting your... It's like, you know, anyway. There you go. That's it. So that's what I wanted to say. That's what I wanted to say. That's really the whole purpose of my speech here today. And so now... So thank you for listening. <laughs> I think you got it. And so now uh, let's answer your questions. Okay. So your, my first question here comes from Yoon. All right. Yoon, thank you for asking your question. You say, hi there. When I was young, I committed a crime. Okay, Yoon, I got it. All right. When I was young, I committed a crime. I lost a jury trial and I went to prison. And after I had done my time, I got transferred to ICE, and I stayed there for about three months, and then I signed deportation. All right, I gave up. I signed my deportation. But my country, which was Vietnam, didn't accept people like me to go back to Vietnam. So actually, now I'm still here. Okay, Yoon. All right, I got it. Thank you. And... ICE has let me out, and now I have to report to them every year. Okay? I got it. And so here's the thing. You got some other things you're saying here, too. Now you say, now I've filed a paper to the California governor for a pardon. And could that affect me, and could I get my green card or my legal status back? And thanks for your time. Yoon, thank you for that question. Thank you for that question. That is, let me say this first. All right, Yoon, you are not alone. You are not alone. All right, I have talked to a lot of people who committed something, some crime in the past when they were young and stupid. All right, and those things do have consequences. And those things do continue to affect an immigration case for years and years and years and years. Like Yoon, you are not alone. And you're right, also, Vietnam for years was not accepting deportees back to Vietnam. So you're, you're fortunate in that respect. You're allowed to be in the U.S. I have many clients who made that mistake of committing some crime when they were young and then just get deported and now they're never able to come back. All right? But Yoon, in your situation, I'm glad that you weren't physically deported and I'll say this, I am also glad that you're filing for a governor's pardon, all right? Because lots of years have happened, I'm sure, since whatever. I'm sure you have grown up and matured, and you're not the same person that you used to be. And so stick with that. Continue with that. Push for that. Fight for that. Because a governor's pardon can help you. It could help you tremendously. And in the meantime... What my best advice is for you, my best advice is 
to let's run a complete set of your FOIAs. All right, you know what FOIAs are? Freedom of Information Act requests so that we can see whether or not there might be a way to try to reopen that case. All right, once that criminal issue gets pardoned, maybe there's a way we could file a motion to reopen and ask the judge to say, hey, look, you know, this is a weird situation. All of this happened. We've now got a pardon. Would you please reopen the case so that we can apply for X? And whatever X is will depend on the records and will depend on your personal situation. Sometimes there is a way, all right, to apply for adjustment of status or to apply to get that green card back even when all of these things have happened, okay? And, you know, so just to recap, my first, my first uh, suggestion is let's first run all the records requests so that we can help you determine whether or not there is a good option and if there is a good option, which you know, what's plan A, what's plan B, what's plan C, so that we can figure out how to help you. Got it? So, all right, Yoon, thank you for that. Really, thank you so much for that. And uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on, um, but Yoon, if, if you would like assistance with any of that, hey, give, give our office a call. I'd love, I have clients in your situation. I'd love to help you out. All right, our next question comes from Martha. Martha you say, I am in the middle of processing a waiver for a J-1 visa. Okay, I got it. J-1s are not easy to waive. Um, for those who aren't aware, some visas have certain restrictions, all right? And often the J-1, a J-1 visa is for a cultural exchange visa. And often they come with a catch, right? Like you can come into the U.S. on a visa for up to two years, but now you got to go back to your home country for two years before you can do anything else. And if you don't do it, you're inadmissible. Every, every type of case will be denied. All right? And so, uh, but there's a waiver. There's a couple of ways to waive the J-1 uh, to your home residency requirement. And so, okay, so Martha, you say, I'm in the middle of processing a waiver. Okay, that's not easy, and I get it. And you say, I've been paying lawyers for about two years now, and I can't continue making payments. I'm unemployed. Got it. I'm sorry that you're in that situation, all right? And you say, my case will soon be going to the Department of State for them to open a case for me. What are my options in terms of legal representation? What I really want to do is tell the lawyers I have to withdraw from my case, but I don't know the impact that would have on my case. Wow, Martha, thank you. Thank you for that question. That is a um, uh, let's, let's walk through it with me a little bit here today, okay? So my first question for you, Martha, is do you have a work permit, all right? Like, are you, are you unemployed for now, or are you unemployed because you don't have work authorization, you don't have the right to work? And the reason I ask is because you know, normally, at least the way my firm does it, is when we apply for adjustment of status, we apply for a work permit. And if you've had your case pending for two years, like, did you apply for adjustment of status? Have you applied for a work permit at the same time that you're seeking the J-1 waiver? Some firms will say, no, seek the J-1 waiver first, 
so that you know that that issue is waived and then file for adjustment of status. And I can see the logic behind that, but my preference is, hey, let's fight for, file for adjustment of status at the same time so that you can get a work permit, right? That way you can get a work permit. Maybe it costs more at the outset, but it's more valuable for you because then you can have work authorization while your case is pending. So that's something, Martha, that I, you know, I'm just curious if you're where you're at in your process. And uh, if you have, so that's one issue, right? This, the other issue that you're asking, which is a good one, is you ask about firing your current lawyers and whether or not that's a good idea. Well, Martha, I mean, thank you for asking that question. I don't know uh, how your current lawyers are doing. I'd be happy to review the file and give you a second opinion if that's what you'd like. But, sorry, I'm getting a call in. Let me, let me, let me not answer that. So, Martha, I, you, you know, a person always has the right to fire their lawyer. All right? A person always has the right to fire their lawyer and to hire someone else. You want to work with a lawyer who you ha have a good working relationship with. You want to work with a lawyer who you trust. Okay? And so, yes, you have the right to fire your current lawyers, but Martha, time out. All right? Time out. Like, don't do this on your own. All right? Look, I'm here to empower people. I'm here to empower people. But I would, be, I would not be empowering anybody to say, hey, just go handle a J-1 waiver in front of immigration on your own. All right? Like, immigration is not, it's not easy. It's not simple. And J-1 waivers, they're not easy and they're not simple. I do not recommend anybody to go through that process alone. All right? Like having a lawyer is worthwhile. Now, whether or not your lawyer is doing a good job, I mean, I don't have any way to know that. But please, Martha, don't do this on your own. You mentioned the costs involved. All right? Like, yes, they do cost. All right? They do cost. And, but I want you to think about it. I really want you to think twice about it because it is my opinion, all right? It is my opinion that it costs more over the long haul. It costs more not having a lawyer than it costs to have one. What? Lawyers are so expensive. Well, not having one not having one can be horribly expensive, all right? Serious problems can be caused by not having somebody fight for you. Serious problems, all right? Like, here's the deal, Martha. J-1 waivers, if they're done well, if they're done correctly, you'll be done with them in, t in the next two to three years, done. And you'll have a green card if it's done well, if it's approved, if it's done, all right? But imagine you make a mistake and the case gets denied and now you got to refile again. Like what is it worth to you to get it done right the first time or to be fighting this same stupid process for the next 10 years? All right? 
That's the value of hiring a lawyer that knows what they're doing and that can really help you through the process. I just encourage you to really think that through, all right? Don't make a decision thinking short-term. Make a decision for what's best for you and your long-term immigration goals, okay? That's all I'm going to say about that. And, uh, you know, and Martha, thank you, all right? Thank you for asking that question. I know that's a hard situation that you find yourself in. Um, I wish you the best of luck with it, okay? Nice. All right, I see uh, MS Sa Saroya. All right, thank you. And I see, hey, I see Daniel um, Carasquel in, in Instagram waving. Hello, great to see you. Awesome. All right, I got a question from Hari Kumar. Hari Kumar, thank you so much for asking your question. I hope you're doing well. All right, and so. Uh, you ask, can asylum applicants bring their parents to the United States? And that's a great question. Hari Kumar, thank you for asking that question. Um, and happy holidays to you. And the answer, unfortunately, is not yet. All right? Here's the way it works, everybody. Here's the way it works. And, and Alex, I see you on there. And Hetka, I think, I see you on there. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, thanks, everybody. I love having, having you guys here with me. So, Hari Kumar, the way it works is if you are applying for asylum, all right, you have the right to include spouses and children inside of your asylum case, all right? Spouses and children. They can be derivatives in your asylum case. But if you want to apply for, for your parents, if you want to, like, petition, get a green card for your parents, First, you've got to win the asylum case. You can't just be an applicant. You have to be an asylee. You have to win first. Then you've got to wait one year and apply for a green card. Once you have a green card, you've got to wait four more years and then be eligible to apply for citizenship. Once you become a U.S. citizen, then you can petition for your parents. Does everybody get that? Everybody get that? It's crazy, right? Crazy situation. If you're an asylum seeker and you want to petition for your parents to enter the U.S., step one, you got to win your asylum case. Step two, you got to get a green card. Step three, you got to become a U.S. citizen. And then step four, you petition for your parents. Got it? That's the truth. It's an ugly truth. It's a long, slow process. But that is the way it works. That is the way to do it. All right. My next question, we're doing great, everybody. My next question comes from Cornelio. All right, Cornelio, you ask, can you please check if there is another person using my name in their immigration records? Because I get some resources like there's been someone out there in the U.S. using my name. Wow. Okay. I don't get that question every day. Thank you for asking that question. So, Cornelio, the answer is sort of yes. Sort of yes. All right? I can't run the records of anybody who's not our client. All right? I can't, like, I can't run the records. I can't just run a name search and get the records from immigration. All right? What we can do is we could run your records, and we can check your immigration file, and sometimes... Other names, I've seen it happen, all right? Sometimes other names 
and other identities do show up inside of your file that can cause confusion on your case. And so, yes, the first step is to request all of your FOIAs, and that would be the way to do it. And, and that FOIA process, FOIA, remember, stands for the Freedom of Information Act. That's the way to request what the different agencies um, within immigration have, what records they have on you and with, under your name, under your case, to see, you know, uh, really what's going on in there. All right? All right, on Instagram, Danielle, hey, hello. You say, hello, Otis, long time no see. All right. Yes, we, I was your attorney in 2017. I totally remember you, so thank you. Uh, Danielle, great to see you. And, uh, yeah, you say you really appreciate your help. Well, hey, I, uh, thank you. Oh, and you say best wishes to Sarai. Thank you for remembering Sarai. For those who don't know, Sarai Kamal is a paralegal in our office, and she's awesome. So thank you for saying that, Daniel. I appreciate it. All right, my, my final question for today is, comes from Luis, all right? Luis, you say, my friend is from Nicaragua. He came to the U.S. at the age two in 1985, all right? He lived in San Francisco, went to elementary school, got his green card. But then, because of family issues, they left back to Nicaragua at age 11, when he was 11 years old, all right? They were done with the U.S. for whatever reason, moved back to Nicaragua. So then he re-entered the U.S. in 2014, 10 years later, but on a tourist visa, and has since overstayed that visa. He wants to know if there is any chance of recuperating back his residency. Are there options? All right. So, Luis, thank you for asking this question. I had a similar question um, in a recent uh, episode that we did. The short answer is no, all right? His green card was abandoned. He was out of the U.S. for 10 years, okay? So the best advice, if you have a green card, it's to never travel outside the U.S. for more than six months, right? And if you stay out for over a year, then the U.S. government could say it was abandoned. And here, it's like 10 years, like no question. It will have been abandoned, plus... He entered not with that green card, but with the tourist visa. So yes, that, that, forget about that old green card. It's gone. All right. And so now the question is, could we help him get a new green card through some other way? And so the answer to that, Luis, is maybe, maybe we could. All right. So the question there is, you know, is he married to a U.S. citizen? Could we apply for marriage-based adjustment of status? Does he have kids here in the U.S.? Has he ever been the victim of some kind of harm or problem here in the U.S.? Maybe he has a U visa. Maybe there's some other option. We'd love to help him sort it out. Okay? So, Luis, you know, let's do a consultation. We can figure out if we can help him get his residency back. We'd be happy to look into it. All right? But is there an easy way to get that old green card back? The simple answer is no. It's not going to happen. Okay? So that's it, everybody. That's it. Hey, it's the 30th of December. Like, Happy New Year. It's like the end of 2021. We're starting a new year. What are you going to do to bring in the new year? Okay? Anyway, I hope you have a great and very happy uh, new year. So that's all that we have time for today. Thank you all so much. And hey, as always, if I haven't answered your question yet, I still will. You can send me the question. I'll still answer it. I'm just not going to be able to get to it right here, right now. All right? I wish I could. Okay? So um, if today's chat was useful, 
Please subscribe to our channel here in YouTube. Please click the notification bell, all right? And we'll get you additional updates and news. And you can see the other videos as we upload them. And hey, if you have an immigration case, please feel free to give us a call. We are here to help, all right? Thank you so much. All right, I see uh, Ramnavarm. All right, hello, welcome. I see some folks, I think on YouTube, uh, Asukar and Ali and Mood and Star and Alex and Hika. Hello. Thank you all so much. Hey, have a very, very happy New Year uh, and New Year's Eve. Uh, we'll see you in 2022. Can't even believe it. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Empowered Immigrant Live. Thanks so much, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Empowered Immigrant Podcast. If you like what you heard and if you want to learn more, please go to LanderholmImmigration.com forward slash podcast.